Welcome to episode 259 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris. Joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. And in this episode, we're going to focus on focusers. Whew. Something we've talked about, you yeah. know, just about every episode, but we haven't really, I don't think we've dedicated an episode to focusers. Yeah. So this is, uh, I think it was suggested by Brent. Am I right there? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Brent had made a, made a suggestion. And so he, uh, you know, is, uh, is a professor at a university down in Texas. I think I'm, I should have put more notes in here for this. So I'm just like bringing it off the back of my head. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. He's in Texas yeah. and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Professor. Yeah. And so he had asked us uh, kindly enough, appreciate it. Um, if he could, if he could use one of our episodes, uh, in his class, um, which uh, it sounds like a pretty interesting class and uh, it's astronomy isn't the only aspect of that class, um, but it is one aspect that uh, he's getting people to focus on. And um, when we're just going back and forth, he, he made a few show suggestions, <coughs> excuse me, of which focusers was, uh, was one, eh? What, what did he ask us for here? Well, I take a drink of water. Um, he had, uh, I think he had an, uh, uh, I can't remember now, actually, it was something to do with upgrading uh, some telescopes. I can't remember if it was himself or some of his students, but um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, still I've... use the focusers that came with my eight inch daub as well as the Skywatcher Maxutov. Are there upgrades that listeners should consider? And I, I don't think it really matters. The telescope um, focusers are often uh, a piece of gear that people do upgrade or consider upgrading at some point. Um, yeah. uh, now, you know, some telescopes come with really robust focusers from the get-go, but there's many more out there that don't. So certainly mm -hmm. focuser upgrade is something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Sir, but that had a, had a bit of a tickle in my throat here. Yeah, no problem. All right. Yeah. So um, my first telescopes, and uh, let me put it this way, focusers, um, they have come a long way. You know, now when you buy... Um, most telescopes come with pretty um, adequate focusers. I'm going to put it that way. Um, the ones that uh, that I was buying in the 90s when I was, um, you know, a young person and, uh, and and getting those scopes, they were all one and a quarter, and they were all pretty much 100% made out of plastic and not really that good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plastic focusers. Um... Yeah, you definitely want to stay away from those ones. Um, you know, and nowadays I think it's, it's, you know, if, if you come across a plastic focuser, it's probably one of those department store telescopes that, you know, may cause a little more frustration than what you were hoping for. Yeah. Um, but even like I noticed when I bought, cause I had, had rebought, uh, ST80, uh, you know, a couple of years ago for, for my own use and then one for my nephew's. And I noticed that the focuser on that was uh, significantly better than the one that I had bought like in 96 or 97 or whatever it was. So they, they, they've worked away at them, even at the companies, even when they look almost identical to the ones they were making, you know, 25 years ago, they, they've, they've got a significant improvement. But I remember that original SD80, I was out observing with that one night and the focus knobs on those... Um, just had like a screw through the middle of the focus knob and 
then that attached to part of the focusing uh, uh, body of, of the focuser. And I was, I was focusing one night and there was a big crack and then the, the knob would just spin and I had to, um, you know, end the session early. And then, well, I could use the other side, which I did for a bit, but it was really annoying because just naturally I was, I was using the other focus knob and uh, had to screw it down. And the focus knob pretty much had, uh, had, you know, cracked. And uh, then I had a eight inch knob that had one and a quarter. And, you know, if I had it out in really cold weather, it would seize. And uh, yeah, just, uh, just wasn't very good. So I'm not sure what your first focusers were like, but that was my experience. Well, on my first real telescope, um, so that would have been my Skywatcher eight inch Dobsonian. It was an okay focuser. Um, You know, it was all metal. Um, but it was a single speed focuser and, um, I felt like I, I, you know, was missing out on crisp focus. So I ended up upgrading that one to a two speed focuser. Um, uh, and I really appreciated the fine focus. And ever since then, that's certainly a feature that is, uh, that I prioritize fairly highly on a focuser. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so just go over, we'll talk about upgrading in a second, but we'll go over the, uh, the many varied uh, kinds. So the, these are the kinds that that I've I've had. I'm not sure. May, this might be comprehensive. Um, there's helical. Um, there's rack and pinion RMP. Um, they run on track. So helicals are they're just like a cylinder in a cylinder, and then there's sort of a grip ring, and you you move that, and then that uh, causes the uh, I guess the the tube to extend and contract, and that's what brings you in and out of focus. RMP rack and pinions, um, they're kind of like on these uh, tooth geared tracks that they run underneath in uh, uh, on the telescope, sort of on the other side. Then there's Crayfords, which are very similar to rack and pinions, but um, they almost have like a, like a guide metal bar and then some bearings on the side. Um, Let's yeah, they're, see. they're more like friction based uh, yeah. rather than like a kind of a tooth and groove like a rack and pinion. Yeah, and then there's uh, mirror focusers, which are like on your Schmidt cast screens where you have like a knob that you turn and it, it moves um, the mirror in and out. Um, there's uh, slide focusers. I have one on my Borg actually where you release two tension screws and then you just kind of pull that in and out. Mm-hmm. That Those mm-hmm. were the kind, the slide focusers were the kind that uh, John Dobbs was making on those first uh, Dobsonian telescopes by putting... Uh, like basically two uh, paper towel tubes, one inside the other, and then uh, having a means of of creating a, a, a friction point as you as you pull it in and out. Um, then there's sled focusers, like on my comic catcher. Um, yeah, so th- those are the ones I have, and then I think you added electric focusers onto this. Yeah, and it's uh, I think that needs a little bit of an explanation. Um, typically, an electric focuser is really just an add-on to like a, a rack and pinion or a Crayford. So, a rack and pinion or Crayford focuser, I think, is more traditional. Or if you picture a telescope focuser, you're probably thinking of one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically have knobs on either side, left hand and right hand side, and you turn the knob, and that's how you focus. Uh, the electrical add-on just usually goes over top of one of those focus wheels. And then you use uh, like a remote control to move it in and out of focus. Mm -hmm. Um, So those can be a little more accurate, but typically it's astro imagers that'll use the electric focusers because then they can dial it in quite precisely without having to touch the telescope and, you know, potentially cause vibration. Yeah. 
sounds uh, sounds good. Um, we referenced this before, but I think I think many of these can also have because I think many of these can also have or be um, modified to have a fine uh, focus. And I can kind of live without fine focus with some caveats. You actually upgraded uh, one of your scopes. I think you said to have fine focus, and I, I've done that as well. But well, what mm-hmm. what's the point of having fine focus over rough focus? Yeah. So there's um, uh, a fine focus is usually expressed with a ratio like a ten to one or an eight to one. So basically, uh, I, like one of the a lot of my telescopes, I think, are ten to one. So mm-hmm. what that means is if you're rotating the fine focus knob you would have to turn, you would have to make 10 revolutions, like full circles, uh, to equal one rotation or one revolution of the course focus or the kind of the regular focus. So mm-hmm. it really allows you to be, um, you know, uh, like real, uh, like a real fine adjustment for your focus. So you can get it perfect essentially is the idea. Um, I can live without it, but I don't. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, with that being said, like, I, I really, really value crispness. Like, that's one of the reasons why, one of the main reasons why I use refractors. I love the crisp pinpoint views of the stars. Mm-hmm. So I want that focus to be as good as possible. So I love the fine focus for that aspect. Mm-hmm. But where it really comes into play is if you're using high power, um, like for planets or for double star observing, the course focus at high power uh, can sometimes be challenging to get it really nice and crisp focus where is if you have the fine focus, the, the two speed, um, you know, I, I find it much easier at higher powers to get it exactly where I need it. Yeah. So the way that uh, the two speeds are, are set up is that with, with telescope focusers, typically, although not always, for the most part, you have um, sort of a left and a right focus knob, one focus knob on one side, one focus knob on the other. And then with the fine focus, what they do is they add on sort of a, a smaller um, focus knob that's uh, typically attached to the uh, right um, focus side. And and for me, I can typically get by, unless it's a really fast scope, I can typically get by without a fast, um, uh, without sort of the fine focus. I'm good with just the, the fast focus on, on the big focus knobs. Um, but like when I bought my comic catcher, sort of ironically, they have the sled focus, which is absolutely the most coarse focus you could ever imagine on a telescope that's super, super fast at F3.57 or whatever it is. So you absolutely need a fine focus on this. So I went through a lot of hoops to actually uh, get a small helical focuser that I could uh, put uh, put into the optical train so that I could have fine focus uh, on such a fast instrument. Cause that, that's kind of how I roll. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, a great approach for sure. Yeah. So one of the things, so maybe I should say this. So I've replaced focusers on, I think all of my refractors one way or another, my, um, ST 80, I popped the old one and a quarter focuser off and I bought a two inch aftermarket with a fine focus from Agena. If I was doing it again, I wouldn't have spent the extra 20 bucks. I would have just gone with the regular one speed. I, I, I find the two speed on that is just more problems than it's, than it's worth. I just don't need fine focus on that scope. Um, let's see. Um, 
and I've replaced, so on my Borg five inch, I think typically they were selling those with a helical. And so what I did is I had them put a draw tube focus on it. And then at the end of the draw tube, I had a feather touch focuser uh, 2025 uh, put on that. So I actually get like rough focus and then I get fine focus. So what's cool about, about that telescope is that um, any eyepiece uh, ever made can be focused on that uh, telescope because you have the coarse focus, which I think I have five or six inches of coarse focus. And then once you find kind of like the, the best spot for most of your eyepieces, you can just focus in that spot. But then every once in a while, you know, there's like a wonky eyepiece chain or binder viewer or something you want to put on a telescope. And then you want to either um, shorten your, your tube length to take advantage of, of, uh, of that eyepiece or lengthen it. And, and I can do that with, uh, with that telescope. Um, let's see on my TAC FS 60, I originally had a feather touch lightweight focuser, um, custom made for it. And I picked the wrong, uh, draw tube length and I had to get it refabricated at my expense. Cause I didn't listen to Wayne, the guy who runs feather touch. So, uh, yeah, one focuser for the price of two, not quite, but he, he was fairly decent on the pricing, but, uh, if you are looking for replacement focusers, I think feather touch are among the better options. I really enjoy them. Not for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, they will make it to your custom specifications. I would go with what Wayne recommends, um, dearly over maybe what you read on an internet forum because the internet forum was wrong and Wayne was right. <laughs> that way. <laughs> and let's see, what else have I done? Yeah. So what I did is I took the hundred millimeter, um, focuser when I got the hundred millimeter, I, and I, I think that the feather touch on the 60 was overkill. Mm -hmm. It was unnecessary. Did, didn't need it. Don't want it. Um, <laughs> so what I, what I did though, is I, I had the 60 millimeter focuser from tack, but mine came and it's really tight. Maybe it could be adjusted or something, but I never liked it very much. So when the um, TAC 100 came, I, uh, I never used that TAC 100 focuser. I just popped it off right away thinking it would be about the same. And I took the feather touch off the 60 and then I kind of put them side by side. I was just like playing with them on the counter. And I was like, whoa, this TAC focuser is really, really good. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. So the second TAC focuser I got is perfect. And so I put that on the 60, which is really funny because it has the hundred millimeter nameplate on it and it's on the 60. So I do, I do enjoy that. So I actually replaced attack focuser with attack focuser. And then on the comet catcher sled focuser, I went and got an aftermarket uh, helical from uh, telescope service over in Germany. Um, it wasn't that expensive. It's like 50 or 40 euros. I think I ended up paying for it it gives me 17 or 19 millimeters of focus. So I get the rough focus with the sled and then I have this beautiful, nice little helical focuser um, to get that, to get that fine focus. So again, I can sort of rough it in whatever eyepiece I'm using and then have the helical sort of sitting in its, in its mid range. And then once I get close to focus, then I can nail the focus with the, uh, with the fine focus. So that's sort of my um, focus journey, Shane. How about uh, anything to add? You've, you talked about replacing one, but I don't know if you've gone as crazy as I have, but you've actually added on fine focus to one of your um, 
to one of your tacks, I think at least one fine focus. Yeah. So I talked about my eight inch Newtonian. Uh, I had a 12 inch mead light bridge that also came with a single speed focuser. Uh, so I replaced that with a dual speed um, and uh, it worked great. There was no issues. Um, and I just did that because I wanted to have that fine focus for uh, again, you know, higher powers and, and just to dial it in perfectly. Um, was it fully required? I don't know. In hindsight, I probably could have lived without it, but, um, you know, again, it, it wasn't that expensive of, of an upgrade and I certainly did use it. Um, fast forward to my Skywatcher 120 ED, um, that came with the focuser that was single speed. Uh, so I upgraded it to a, uh, a William optic focuser that had dual speed. Um, but there was another reason that I wanted to upgrade that, um, this telescope was going to be located in my backyard observatory on an EQ mount. And when you're, when you're panning through the sky on an EQ mount, your telescope sort of rotates, you know, or, or the position of it changes because of how the EQ mount works. And sometimes your focuser can be upside down or on its side, you know, just depending on where you're looking in the sky. Um, so I wanted also to have a focuser that rotated so that when the telescope orientation changes on the EQ mount, I just undo a tension screw on the focuser, rotate it so that I have the eyepiece at the exact angle that's comfortable for my viewing. So the William optic focuser that I put on that one also rotated. And that's, you know, a feature to consider in focusers, depending what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly uh, any imagers, uh, you know, really, uh, I think, appreciate having a rotating focus uh, focuser so that they can um, just get their camera positioned how they want it. Um, but I certainly enjoy the rotating focuser for some of those scenarios. Um, yeah. so anyway, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I've got it on my SD 80 have the rotating focuser, but it doesn't rotate because it bangs into the uh, dovetail bar. So it doesn't always work when you do that. Mm -hmm. I've yeah, had that... it on my, I have it on my William optics, 80 millimeter apro. I was going to say had it like I lent it out to somebody a couple of years ago and haven't seen it since. Um, and I kind of have it on the board because I can use the draw tube to rotate, but I, I do miss it on the TAC 100 because uh, I've just threaded on to the uh, green uh, tube extension that comes with the TAC. So mm. I, I do I do like having that rotating ability. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty sweet to have. Yeah, it's a nice feature. Um, thinking about some other ones. So my 76 millimeter uh, Tasco 10TE. So this is an old vintage telescope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has Royal Astro Optics. It, it's a great, great telescope. But those old telescopes came with 0.965 inch focusers. And if there's ever a weak point on these old telescopes, it's typically the focuser. Uh, so I was able to replace that with a modern two inch two speed focuser that rotates as well. And uh, it fits on without having to do any destructive modifications to the old Tasco. So if I ever mm -hmm. want to restore the original configuration, it's quite easy. Um, so that was a pretty easy mod. Um, and then on my TAC 76, um, it came with the, the standard TAC focuser, which is a single speed. Um, it's quite smooth and works well, but again, I, I do like to have uh, fine focus on my refractors and you can buy, uh, like an aftermarket um, fine focus attachment to you. So you, you take off the knob off the original tack focuser, and mm -hmm. then the fine focuser basically just slides on. Mm -hmm. And there's a, 
a little bit of tuning that you do to dial it in and it works quite well. Now it's not a feather touch, like it's not that, you know, smooth, but, uh, I'm quite pleased with it and yeah. definitely recommend it works quite well. Um, and then I'm just trying to think here. So some other modifications that I did not do, but received a telescope that already had it done, um, was my TAC TSA 102, and then also my, uh, Teleview Genesis SDF that I had. So both of those telescopes had the original, uh, focuser that came with the telescope, but on refractors, uh, you can take off sort of the, the focusing knobs and sometimes replace them with like feather touch knobs mm -hmm. that are just smoother. And, um, uh, both of those telescopes, uh, had that modification done. And I really, really like that. Um, mm -hmm. for me, I enjoy just having, uh, the aesthetics sometimes of, you know, the, uh, original focuser, particularly on the tack and, um, you know, having the, uh, the feather touch, um, uh, component added really improves the performance. So, so that's my journey through focusers for the most part. Um, one other thing I'll mention is that, uh, I have the, the Bader, uh, T2 prism and with, you know, the T2, uh, components, you can swap pieces in and out. It's like very universal mm -hmm. and you can get a helical or helical focuser that goes on top of the prism. Um, oh. so like it's the eyepiece holder, but it's yeah. also a fine focuser. Now yeah. your range of focus is quite small, but I've used that quite effectively on my little Lunt 35 millimeter hydrogen alpha telescope yeah. because, um, that telescope basically just has the draw tube focus. So I, you know, that's a coarse focus to me. So I use yeah. that to get it real close. And then I use the, uh, helical, uh, focuser on my prism, uh, to, uh, dial it in and that, that Bader, uh, uh, focuser prism or sorry, uh, uh, helical focuser goes on any T2 accessory. So my blocking filter on my Lunt telescope is also T2. So I just remove the, the Lunt, uh, eyepiece holder and then put in this one and kind of acquired a, you know, in a way a two speed focus on that little telescope as well. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to mention is that um, a lot of like sort of the standard telescopes these days, especially like the uh, reflectors um, in the Dobsonian configuration, they seemed, I find this kind of weird is that they come with um, sort of okay focusers, um, but what, what sort of makes them compromised a little bit is that they're kind of like a focuser that's designed both for visual and apparently it looks to me anyway, like they're for astrophotography as well, which kind of doesn't make any sense because I'm not sure of anybody who's really doing much than we have astro imaging with like these, uh, these Dobsonians, particularly because many of them don't even come with those electronics and we recommend getting them without the electronics anyhow. Um, so they're kind of funny focusers. It's like, I think they just have produced sort of a, a decent standard focuser and then it's just getting applied to all these scopes. So back in the day when I was getting started, the big thing was you want to upgrade your focuser to be able to use two inch eyepieces and accessories. So for the most part, all now all the telescopes that you would um, want to use two inch eyepieces with typically come with two inch eyepiece holders. So that's awesome. eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it 
you know, a lot easier. It's just sort of plug and play at that point. Yeah. But the downside is now because so many people are doing astro imaging, um, they've somehow just like come up with sort of a standard set or a couple different focusers that can be used for both visual and for um, astrophotography. And then they've sort of applied them to all the scopes. And it's kind of unfortunate in a way, because when you're using them in the visual configuration, you need to use extension tubes and, and threading on all these little parts that it's a little bit confusing. Like I've seen them and I kind of think I know what I'm doing, but it's a bit of a maze to try to figure out what parts work. And then sometimes like I noticed, like it takes a lot of tweaking for the person to kind of get it dialed in, um, like what's going to work and what isn't. Sometimes there's like a lot of focus slip, um, just because there's a lot of little different tension knobs and things kind of threaded together. It's a, it's a bit of a Rube Goldberg type rig. And then for astro imagers, I feel like I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, like for anybody who's really going to be doing astro imaging, like they want to have the capability of holding. I don't know necessarily that they might not be holding so much weight, but I think often they look at like a weight rating because that um, implies stability in the focus and, and all those kind of things for astro imaging. I'm not an astro imager. So I kind of feel like if you're an astro imager, this isn't going to be a great uh, focus for you either. So it's uh, it, it's a lot of rigmarole to use it for visual. And even if you take all that stuff off and just use it in the standard astrophotography configuration, I feel like it's probably, and I'm just guessing here, but it just doesn't seem like something the astrophotographers are going to um, be thrilled with either. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of a funny thing. I kind of wish they they would give you an option and and have um, a focuser that is that is just for visual. And then again, like um, one of the weird um, developments by by going this path is that, like for example, with your typical Dobsonian, they have to shorten the whole tube a little bit because they're going to add another two or three inches to the height of the focuser. And, and so maybe you have to end up using a slightly larger secondary mirror. So there, there's some, some weird um, sort of downstream uh, implications for how they've uh, configured those scopes. And then if you do want to replace those focusers, you have to keep that in mind because you're going to need an extra long draw tube in order to, uh, to reach focus on, on those instruments. I kind of hope that I've shed some light and not confuse the heck out of people here though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like using, using a camera. Uh, changes the focal point and yeah. uh, it's an annoyance with <laughs> to me anyway it's an annoyance with the takahashi focusers because they come with all of these adapters to accommodate uh somebody who wants to do imaging yeah um and then there's usually at least on my 76 like the draw tube is really short for focusing so yeah you know it it becomes a pain with different eyepieces like the uh a lot of teleview eyepieces that i have like the panoptics or um my 13 millimeter nagler uh they all require a lot of outward focus um mm -hmm. but if i'm using um like 0.965 inch pentax orthos it's the opposite they need a lot of inward focus and you know depending on what eyepieces i want to use that night i have to also have some adapters to change that focal length so that everything works yeah and uh it's too bad i think that's you know and sometimes i think sometimes people wonder why the heck are these guys using borg scopes or have borg scopes and you know why would anybody buy these borg telescopes they're kind of astrophoto telescopes um, but they have like a lot of Takahashi components, but then they have board components that are super lightweight. So 
Um, one of the reasons why I like the Borg instruments is that I can get any eyepiece I want to focus with any of my Borg telescopes. And that's, there's something to be said for that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and, and layer in uh, a binal viewer, like if you're yeah. interested in that, like I am, um, a binal viewer is kind of like almost using a camera. It requires, yeah. like it changes the focal point uh, for yeah. everything. And being able to shorten that an awful lot um, allows you to use the binal viewer natively, which um, yeah. is a great thing. So yeah, I definitely like modularity sometimes because then you can get it working exactly how you want it. Yeah. Um, but it also leads to sometimes having a pocket full of uh, adapters. Like when I came out to your place uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was not binal viewing and I forgot my extension. Uh, yeah. So none of my eyepieces were going to focus and thank goodness you had an extension, yeah. um, you know, cause I borrowed that and everything worked great. Yeah. 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 I think that is where the, the Borg one, two, five SD that I have, I think that's the one thing that kind of got missed when they were trying to market that is that telescope. And I'll, I'll never get rid of it because it's it's not the best telescope at any one thing, but it is absolutely the Swiss army knife of telescopes because it has that draw tube and the feather touch on it and very easily adapted with a focal reducer field flattener for beautiful astro imaging. Mm -hmm. um, and then like that, and it's a simple switch out if you want it to be an astro imager. And then it's a simple switch out to put the feather touch on any eyepiece, binary viewer, blah, blah, blah. Anything you can throw at it's going to come to focus. I've never had an eyepiece not kind of focus in that telescope. And I've tried, I haven't tried a binary viewer, but I kind of want to put your binary viewer on it now just to prove the point. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, anything can come to focus. It's very lightweight and portable. It's um, really good on the planets. Like, you know, like I said, it's just as good as my TAC 100. So it's about the same price as attack 100 was like you kind of factor in all the differences and you still get a five inch telescope. So it has some oomph. It's fast, but it's not super fast has a, has an extremely wide field, basically the widest field you can get in a five inch, just, just about kind of like almost the widest field, not quite the widest field, almost like right up there with the top planetary factors, not quite like, it's just kind of like that telescope that sort of has enough of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of got missed when they were, um, pushing it out. So it's kind of unfortunate that, uh, that they end of life, uh, that telescope so quick. I think it just kind of was, was too flexible. People couldn't see it. People like to buy a telescope. That's very designed for this one purpose. Like, is it a visual visual instrument? Well, yeah, but it can do all this other stuff too. And, and it really is. It's like this weird telescope that kind of sits between, um, like really good mass produced scopes and like the very best telescopes, but it was priced accordingly. So it's kind of unfortunate they did end of end of life though. But anyway, getting nostalgic there, we should get back to focusers. Yeah. Fo focus, focus on focusers. <laughs> I'm, la I'm laughing here. I'm yeah. laughing here. Okay. So um, we've replaced a lot of focusers and uh, mainly the reason why is either to take them to two inch or to get some better focus characteristics, either in focus, out focus, um, also one of the things that you want to look for is brass compression rings. So this looks like a, uh, just a narrow band that sits inside the focus, uh, draw tube. And then that's, what's going to either grab your eyepieces or grab your extension tube, or it's going to grab your 
uh, diagonal or whatever else you're you're putting in there. Um, we talked about the uh, dual speed. Um, one of the other things you get in an upgrade is is uh, and Shane, you mentioned this briefly, is uh, better tactile uh, feeling, uh, better feeling on the knobs themselves. Um, one of the other things that that I was going for in my upgrades was to have focusers that will work in um, cold conditions, like in my early telescopes, those plastic focusers. Soon as they, soon as we went below zero, like oh, not so good. Um, but uh, but the feather touch, you can go really really cold with them. Um, they just kind of disappear. Like I like a focuser that I'm not sitting there thinking about the focuser. I'm just focusing. And, you know, many of the good focusers, um, like some of the ones that, that you've had and modified from uh, Takahashi and different parts from Feather Touch, and I've used some Moonlights and other focusers, you know, some people say they prefer some over the others. That That's fine. I just like the focuser kind of to disappear, you know, and, you, and even some people have modified like the off-the-shelf two-inch ones with all the wonky adapters and that to get those working properly. That's great. It's, like to me, as long as it works. Like, I just want it to kind of disappear. I just want to observe and be able to focus cleanly mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and not have like big humps or have it stick in the cold or all that kind of stuff. I, I just want it to work. And so as long as it does that, um, I don't care if it's rack and pinion. I don't care if it's helical. I don't care if it's a sled. What? I just want it to work um, no matter what the, what the conditions are. I just want to be observing when I'm observing and not messing um, with gear. Fair enough? Yeah, 100%. All right. Um, oh yeah. Make sure the focuser can handle the load kind of touched on that briefly and yeah, yeah. just to comment too about that. Um, again, if you're, you know, if you're using two inch accessories, uh, it's going to just, there's more weight back there. You know, if you're bino viewing even more weight, um, imaging more weight, um, and where this can become an issue is when the telescope is pointed at a higher altitude. Yeah. Um, all of that weight hanging off the focuser can sometimes like slowly pull the focuser out and then you yeah. have to, you know, dial it back in. So um, that's sometimes the disparity in cost between um, focusers is the more mm-hmm. expensive ones can just handle more weight. Uh, and not have that issue. Um, now, most focusers have a focuser lock. It's just a, like a little, you know, tension screw that you tighten and then it locks the focuser in place. Um, so that can help overcome that sometimes, but it's still a consideration that if you're going to upgrade your focuser, think about, you know, what kind of weight you might be hanging on it, uh, and then get the appropriate focuser to handle that. Um, I, I would say probably, uh, the rack and pinion focusers are known to handle weight better. Um, whereas the Crayfords sometimes uh, struggle a little bit and, and, uh, you know, that's not a, a rule, but that is, uh, you know, kind of a tendency, I guess. Yeah. And like the, the sort of the generic GSO focuser that I bought for my ST80, this is kind of one of the things that I wasn't as happy about because originally what I was going to do with that telescope is, put this two inch focuser on it and I was going to buy a Nagler 31, but Shane, I think I borrowed it from you for like a night or I remember using it, or maybe you, you came out after I, anyway, I've had that scope for a couple of years. There was, there was one night I think, and I borrowed your 31 Nagler in it and it was so sketchy on it that I was like, I think I looked through it for like five minutes and I was like, so terrified. I was going to um, have it rotate and drop your eyepiece that I, I, I just took it out and either gave it back to you or, mm-hmm. or just like put it on the shelf and returned it to you shortly after. Cause 
it failed in in supporting the NAGVA 31, which is a really, really big eyepiece. But I was kind of disappointed that that, uh, that focuser just wouldn't handle that eyepiece. Just no mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and just a comment too about the helical focusers. If um, the one that I have that goes on my prism works great, but mm-hmm. I've had uh, multiple telescopes, uh, some of the Borgs that we have um, where the helical focuser is like part of the optical tube assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had a, a Zeiss telemeter, uh, an old vintage telescope that had one in it. And one thing that I will say about the helical focuser when it's on the OTA, I don't love them because I feel like, uh, every single time I've used them, I induce far more vibration when I'm focusing than mm-hmm. I do with like your standard rack and pinion or Crayford telescope. When the, there, there's the focusing knobs on the side, Mm-hmm. Uh, the knobs I'm able to approach with a, a far softer touch and mm-hmm. dial in my focus. Whereas the helical, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just doing it wrong, but I always have a ton of vibration. And then it's when you have vibration, it makes it hard to get a fine focus because everything's yeah. moving and it's, it's a challenge to see when everything is pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's a good point. All right. Uh, any, anything to add before we move on to uh, actually how, how we focus, which I'm not sure is the same or not. Yeah, no, let's move on to that. All right. So I kind of looked this up really quick and there's really not many guides on actually how to focus, which I kind of thought when Brent sent this, I thought, should we do an episode? Should we do the episode? What's, what's been done on this so far? And I looked it up and it's pretty much like the same kind of generic advice on how to focus a telescope, which actually really isn't very much on how to focus a telescope at all. It just talks about a focuser and the different types. And that's kind of it. It doesn't actually tell you how to focus. And the purpose of our podcast, if I'm not mistaken, is actually talking about how we do stuff and how mm-hmm. people can also uh, do these things. So uh, with sh- with that, Shane, h- how do you focus? Uh, maybe how do you focus on planets versus deep sky, or maybe, maybe it's the same and I'll kind of let you take it and then give my spin. Yeah, for sure. I use a, a fairly similar approach to either planetary or deep sky. Um, deep sky might be a little simpler because I usually use fewer eyepieces. Um, you know, on the planets, I might go through a few different eyepieces to match the seeing, mm-hmm. um, and get, you know, the maximum power that I can, but regardless, what I do is I usually look for stars in the field. Now, you know, this again, whether I'm looking at deep sky objects or planets, I'll look for the stars and I will get a pinpoint focus on the stars that I can see. And mm-hmm. then if I do that, everything's in focus. Um, so that's just sort of it in a, you know, general nutshell. Now what I find, and you and I have talked about this in the past, like a a method for trying to see a little more detail in the planets or even deep sky objects. Sometimes what you do is you rack the focus in and out, or you just vibrate the telescope a little bit, and that can stimulate your eye to see Mm -hmm. a little bit more. So sometimes when I'm doing planetary, I'll just like, rock the the fine focus in and out a little bit um, mm-hmm. to see if I can tease out a little more detail. But uh, otherwise, that's it. I really just look at stars uh, and then get it as crisp as I can there and then move to my object that I want to observe. Yeah. You know, I get a comment. So it, it's kind of funny. Like everybody has their own approach. And and so here we're the opposite. So so you said, oh, when I'm when I'm observing planets, I bring out a whole pile of eyepieces because I'm going to try a whole bunch of different ones. And when I'm doing deep sky, I, I just have a few eyepieces. I'm the opposite. Like 
I, I walk out, I look at the sky and go, oh, it's going to hold like 150 tonight. So I'll take my 150 power eyepieces. So I have my low power finder and then I have my 150 power and that's kind of it. Or or like the other the other night, I kind of looked up, put the five mil in, 150 power. Nah, it doesn't quite take it. So I brought out the seven. <laughs> and then it's like, so I had like um, the my finder eyepiece and then two other eyepieces. And then when I, when I switched to deep sky, I'm like, oh, now I got to go get my eyepieces. So then I brought up like a, like a few more eyepieces. So um, if I'm doing deep sky, I'll like, you know, ratchet through quite a few different, different eyepieces versus, versus planetary. I'll just be using one, but it's a little bit off topic. Um, So for planets, so I, I focus in two slightly different ways. Um, I'm not sure if somebody taught this to me or, or if I read it somewhere or what, but I think, I think somebody taught it to me in the field. So when I'm, when I'm observing planets, what I do is, and I typically just use the, um, the coarse focus or not the fine focus, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I will uh, rack out and then I'll uh, rack in passing through best focus, knowing that I'm not even trying to focus. What I'm what I'm looking for is I'm looking for um, like a or it's more like a, I'm looking at the object, the planet, and I'm I'm feeling where the focuser is, and I'm watching for the point at which the planet reaches best focus. So there's like a spot where everything gets really crisp as I pass through. So. I'm, I'm focusing through sometimes fairly quickly. I'm trying to do this almost as quick as I can without giving too much vibration to the scope pass through focus. And I just keep looking for that spot. I do this a few times um, just without even trying to focus. Like I'm not even going to try to get focus on the planet. I'm just looking for that best focus and where that spot is on the focuser um, just by feel. And then what I do is I start trying to nail it. I just start trying to focus in and then, okay, I got it. Like that's where it is. And I just let go and I don't touch the focus. I don't use the fine focus or anything like that. Then I observe for a little bit. And then I go through that process again to go through focus a couple of times and then try to nail that focus. And usually it takes like, I don't know, it takes me a while, like maybe five minutes to get like the really, really best focus on the planets. But, but I pull out quite a bit of detail on my planetary observing. So that that's kind of my, uh, technique, unless I'm doing really high power, like above, maybe once I get above 200 power, I might start doing almost the same thing with the fine focus. Basically I'll find that best focus in that or close focus with the course. And then I'll start playing with that fine focus, kind of running through, uh, focus sort of the same process, just when you're in higher power. Um, any thoughts on my planetary focusing Shane? No, well, you know, again, there's, uh, there's probably a few other ways to even do focus that we're not thinking of. So, you know, whatever works for you, I think is what's important. And, uh, you know, there's, there's different methods that will, again, allow you to probably tease out a little more detail. And, yeah. uh, I think it's just good to be aware of what, you know, other people do and, you know, give it a try. And if it works for somebody else, then great. Uh, they'll, they'll be better off because of it. Yeah. And then with the deep sky objects is more similar to what you were describing where pick field stars. And then I kind of run through the focus a bunch of times trying to uh, nail that spot where the field stars uh, are at their sharpest point. I had some trouble with NGC 253 when I was making those observations because um, there's not that many field stars that are bright enough. Like they're all Mm -hmm. so dim that um, yeah, it was, you know, there was, 
one time where I, you know, just before I left it, I, you know, I'd done my sketches and everything, but my last observation, I thought, oh, that looks good. And then when I, I went over to look at the veil and I was panning through like by Seder, uh, I was like, oh, it's slightly out of focus. And then I kind of, I did kind of have to run through and, and get uh, best focus again too. Um, as well, when you switch filters, um, you'll actually get a different focus point with a filter. So um, people should keep that in mind. So if you're, if you're going to drop in a filter, whatever it is, whether it's a nebula filter or whether it's a, um, a planetary filter, of whatever sort, whether it's a contrast booster, or just a straight um, color filter that will come to focus at a different point. So don't just drop your filter in and then you're good. You're, you're, you're missing out. Even if it seems like it's close, like me with the contrast booster, it seems like it's close, but uh, yeah, you've got to kind of run through that, uh, that fine focus uh, a little bit again. Oh, through the magic of the internet, I see Shane is adding notes. Yeah. Just so I don't forget. (laughs) Go for Um, it. Yeah. Just a couple other things too, about focusing. Um, One is, uh, as your equipment cools, it can slightly change the focal point as well. So where you might have had focus achieved earlier in the night, it may move a little bit by, you know, the middle of the night, you know, hours later. So just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, even your eyes, as they fatigue through the night, the focal point will change slightly based on kind of the condition of your eyes, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's something to consider. And then the, the last thing here that I just typed, um, sort of related is, uh, parafocal eyepieces. So, um, sometimes when you buy a line of eyepieces, like I think the Teleview delights, um, you know, the Pentex SMC orthos, those are just a few off the top of my head. They're parafocal, meaning they're, they have the same focal point, no matter which focal length of eyepiece you're using. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, You start with the low power and you go to high power and, you know, in theory, the focus, uh, the focal point should be about the same. You might have to just change it slightly, but having Mm -hmm. parafocal eyepieces can, uh, can be kind of a nice little feature, um, so Mm -hmm. that you're not having to, um, go through this whole process every time you switch uh, an eyepiece. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else to add? No, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Uh, and you can always get in touch with us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.